Buenas familia. You are listening to Our Conexión, the podcast where we talk about the realities of the ethnic communities and what that means for the church's response. I'm your host, Eileen, and joining me today is Reverend Siobhan Colonel, Executive Director of the Native American Comprehensive Plan for the United Methodist Church. Siobhan Colonel, Choho Chifkados, Hedogogi Amalegadoa, Halabi Kennedy Adoa, Chogo Sakoji, Olegade Hutkin Legat. And I just uh, introduced myself in the Muscogee Creek language, um, letting everyone know who, who I am. And as a part of that introduction, uh, the second line, I talked about my clan. I'm of the Wind Clan, the Wind People. Um, it's believed that that clan was the first group of, um, I don't want to say human beings, but the first entity that was sent here uh, to creation to help remove a fog that was hindering life from succeeding when this earth mother was created. And so those, those were my ancestors that first came here. And uh, then I also just shared a little bit about my responsibilities in the, the third line about what I do for our ceremonial town, because I do believe in our traditional practices that we've had um, since our creation as indigenous peoples. Um, so that's how I always introduce myself wherever I may go. Uh, that's how I was created. That's the, the gifts that um, God has given us, so to speak. Um, and so I, I cherish those and I'm holding on to that way of life as, as much as possible and raise, have raised my family you know, um, in, in that environment um, as well as within the United Methodist Church. Thank you for sharing that. The, uh, the church version now about <laughs> what I do. Um, you know, I've been an, an, an executive for a little bit now, primarily with the, the first uh, nine years of that kind of professional part of my ministry um, was with Global Ministries as the executive director of Native American and Indigenous Peoples Work, which I really didn't have an idea of what I was getting into way back in 2011 uh, when, I, when I started that, but I was really blessed um, with that opportunity to be able to interact with indigenous peoples across the world and kind of look at some of the challenges that we've all faced, challenges with colonization, challenges with even the, the missionizing process. Um, and what I witnessed was some of the same errors that happened in the history of the United States were being repeated across the world. And so I was really thankful that I could at least help give guidance to some of our work to help eliminate some of those um, mistakes that were made in valuing the diversity of humanity and creation across the world. But here in the past, um, almost going on two years here this coming spring, I will have been appointed as the executive director of our Native American Comprehensive Plan, which is our denomination's national plan for Native American ministries. And in this day and time with our pandemic and with our um, condition of the denomination, it's really been a challenge to actually get to the, 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 the hands-on work of helping our communities across the country, you know, being uh, be in a healthy relationship with native peoples to be in ministry, I guess, for lack of a better term. But we're trying to um, navigate everything that um, this, day and time is throwing at us as best as we can. So I've been doing that for about, I think going on 19 months now. So I have a question. So I'm, I'm Mexican um, and I obviously grew up a different way than you did with you know a different worldview and a different perspective. You've just referred to the 
comprehensive plan for Native American ministries, but I've heard some people say that Native American, it's such a broad term, it's kind of like saying Hispanic Latino and it just kind of like ignores all of the countries that Latin America has to offer. Um, is that something that you can kind of relate to? Absolutely. I think the, the whole terminology really provides a lot of challenges, especially the way that history is taught within the United States, um, especially the history and development of this country with the people that had already inhabited um, these territories and these lands. Because the first and the healthiest way to refer to our communities, and this is, you know, whether it's in the, the country of Mexico, whether it's in Canada, all of our indigenous peoples in on this continent is to name us by the actual group that that we call ourselves the name and terminology that we call ourselves so you know like my elders would say for muskogee creek people we the original way that you would say that in our language was masiasokchi and that's the people that we represent but as time goes on as history you know has uh, uh, displaced us you know that that terminology was whittled down to, they would say Muscogee, and then they would change it to Creek. And then even my ancestors were pushed into what is now in the US Florida. And if we were below a certain point, even though we were of that origin Muscogee Creek, they called us Seminole. So really historically there wasn't a, a Seminole nation, so to speak, a, a tribe. It's those names that who uh, represent who we are. Uh, Muscogee Creek, there's, you know, Miccosukee, Hijiti, all of these indigenous names of communities all across the North America. That's really our first identity in how we, we look at ourselves. But then we come into this whole process of this country taking place. And they came up with, they, you know, they, they really went off with the terminology Indians. Um, you know, that's still in Oklahoma where I'm, I'm actually located here in Oklahoma. Um, here and in other places, that's still the first uh, kind of way of people saying, you know, you're Indians, you're Indians. And I really think that's really detrimental and pejorative, so to speak, that it's not healthy to continue that path. So there's that term. The U.S. government and all of its policies, like we have an entity called Indian Health Service, where we get some of our, our medical care that's provided by the government. They have labeled the term, and this is on all of their documents and all of the writings, anything official that comes from the US government, it's American Indian Alaska Native is the terminology they use. So what I would say is that in this day and time, for those of us that have a, a care and a concern to do what's appropriate, if we can find a time to find out the community in our immediate surroundings, that's probably what, what's best. You know, if it's, uh, let's say if we're in Arizona, um, uh, they're amongst the Navajo Nation, you know, they even refer to themselves as Diné, the Diné people. Um, you know, there's always this way of, you know, getting closer to respecting the integrity of one's existence. And that's by finding the name that they refer to themselves as. And so that's what I always encourage. So, but because I can't give several dissertations all across the country, I, um, I actually side with the term Native American, even though we have to deconstruct it. You know, there's all kinds of persons all across, you know, non-Native Americans, you know, Anglo-Americans. Well, I was born here. I'm, I'm a Native American. Well, I'm like, well, this is not what it's talking about. It's this community um, that really 
represents what we would consider indigenous people. And that's really that last term is the last one that's taking off internationally. Because what we're finding out is that now we're starting to have a broader voice worldwide with um, with our communities that represent the the um, the persons who have had an ancestral lineage to a territory or place that represents a a way of existing and living that is counter to what we would consider popular culture, especially here in the the U.S. And so, indigenous peoples that really that term is really taking off. I'm cautious with that because in the U.S. we're so assimilated that you know there's some characteristics to that term indigenous that we really want to protect, and that's one is the use of our indigenous languages, the maintaining of our ceremonial and spiritual life, and also the the maintaining of our ancestral domains and territories. You know, places where we have you know burial grounds, those kind of things that 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 are there so it's really a complex issue on what you know what term that we use but i, I just for all of our sakes I, I i go ahead and go with uh, native american um but i do have to answer those questions too across the country when when it's brought up you know what, what would be the best i do think in the evolutionary process of that terminology um we're better than where we were that it's not derogatory you know you know there were even other words that they would call our you know my grandparents' generation and their parents' generation. And I'm glad we're, we're starting to get away from that time and start to come to a better place in, in you know, expressing names for our communities. Yeah, and I think that's sometimes the challenging part is finding a balance between, like you said, respecting someone's existence, but also for the sake of other people, um, you know, just working together and I guess giving that grace it's, it's a hard balance and, you know, I think it's difficult, but um, like you said, hopefully we can continue to evolve and go in the right direction. So um, as you know, Christmas time is approaching. We've been in this season of Advent and in this time of waiting. How do all the communities that you are a part of, how do we see that? How do we see the season of Advent, the season of Christmas, and what does that even mean? I think uh, in, in more ways than I, I would like, it's very much similar to the non-Native American society. You know, we our communities still get caught up with, you know, we always hear about commercialism, you know, this kind of thing, uh, presence and, you know, this, you know, Santa Claus. And and I think very much think that we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're all a part of that too. But, you know, this particular time of year has always held significance for Native American people partly because it's so close to, you know, historically in prehistory, it's so close to the winter solstice, is that this is really a, a holy time of the year, you know, when, you know, even in some of our Central and South American communities, there's actual ceremonies that are held when we get to the shortest night and we start calling back the, the light, the sun, you know, there's things that we do to recognize that the longer days are coming after this certain point in this, uh, this moment of the earth cycle so to speak. So it's always been kind of significant to indigenous peoples in having ceremony and spirituality, moments of prayer. Um, and then you, you put on top of that another layer of our experience with Christianity. And so, you know, I think in more ways than we really can count, it still is that extra special moment 
of thinking about um, what does it mean, you know, in in a in a in a kind of a in one sense, you know, we really highlight our children, and that's always been a part of uh, Native American cultures. And for us to have a moment when they're home with their families in a normal year when it's non-pandemic, you know, this is a time they're away from school, they come home, you know, they're they're you know, you see the joy on their faces. So there's really a lot where you see grandparents, where you see families doing so much to, you know, have uh, a special moment for the children, maybe giving them a gift. And in some of our churches, we still actually, I've seen, I seen this on social media, they talked like it was in the past tense, but it still happens that, you know, we still give um, a little, a little package, like a little sack with an apple and orange and some of the Christmas hard candies in it. And, uh, you know, we roll that up and maybe there's a pair of socks or maybe there's a handkerchief in it. And we give that as a gift, you know, to, to the children and to everyone. And in fact, we still talk about it. Did we get our candy sacks? You know, where, where can we go to get them? Um, do you still get candy sacks? We, we yeah. do, although this year with the limited services, um, you know, I don't think, I don't know if we're gonna go out and get them. I heard of churches doing drive-bys, uh, candy sack distributions where they just hand them out to people coming up. And even I'm trying to, I told my family, I said, I'm just going to buy a few apples and a few oranges. And if I can find some small containers of those uh, Christmas candy, I'm going to make some myself just so you can have it, you know, just so you can know. But they still do, you know, and and then when I was doing my local church ministry, that's what we did uh, as well. But the biggest part, and this is part of when I was in local church ministry, pastoral ministries, I really wanted people to look at what you were saying, the Advent, there's more to it than just a colonizer's religion, is that this moment in time is so significant for people who have been marginalized, for people who have suffered injustice, for people who have waited for uh, an opportunity to be valued and validated in society. This moment in time signifies all of that when we think about light overcoming darkness, hope overcoming fear, um, peace overcoming a violence. When we think of those things and all of our peoples of color have faced that day in and day out to this very moment. And so that's one of the messages as a, when I was pastoring a church, I wanted us to hear day in and day out because it's more than just a Christmas tree. It's more than just a present, you know, it's life. It's the ability, ability to exist and that's the beauty of this moment. And, you know, it's more than just, you know, a, a moment of converting over to a religion. It's life. It's respecting uh, the diversity of that life. And so that's what, in some of our churches, we're just now starting to develop that kind of literacy in the faith where we can start to say, oh, this is what it means when we think of Advent. This is what it means when we look at some of the birth narratives of Jesus. This is what it means when people come together, you know, to worship. You know, maybe it's uh, some of our, you know, some of us still do the, the midnight worships on uh, Christmas Eve, that kind of thing. Um, this is what it means, having hope in situations and times when sometimes there's not a lot of hope. And even for some of our communities across the, the U.S. right now, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, it's a struggle, you know, especially when we think about the, the pandemic and the, the amount of 
life that we're losing of our relatives, you know, people that have passed on, people who are getting sick, and even just going through that sickness and having a fear of not knowing what it might do to someone or to yourself. Um, that that's one of the messages that I've tried to say as much as I can in, in a limited capacity uh, to our people is that this isn't going to last forever. This pandemic isn't going to last forever. And there will be a day when we can embrace each other. There will be a day again when we can shake each other's hands. There will be a day uh, again, and there is light that is coming that will help us to live life to the fullest, so to speak. And I really think that's what I try to instill in our communities and in our, in our native people so that we're not caught up in that cycle of, of trauma so that we can have hope and we can live life to the fullest and we can um, navigate this pandemic. So you talked about inspiring hope. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're talking about how the winter solstice and this time of Christmas or the end of the year, the calendar year as we know it, it can kind of have, you know, aside from having like a spiritual interpretation, it can also be seen like metaphorically, like the days are getting longer, but they will get shorter again. And there is hope, right? So I guess, what are some ways, aside from telling people that there is hope, where can we get hope from? Because, you know, 2020 has been very rough in more ways than one. Um, and it's different. I mean, at least in my lifetime, I don't think I've ever had a year like 2020. But I, I know that in history, the year 2020 will be remembered. So where do we get hope from? And, and I think with all the, the challenges, it has, I'm hoping that society will remind itself of the true values that should guide our way of existing. And I'll give, I'll give two examples. The, the first one, you know, I'm thinking, I have both my children, my younger children, I have four at home, one in college. And my, I have a first and second grader that I've chosen to do virtual learning. And in March, they will have been out of a classroom setting for almost a year. Um, and right now, the way things are going, I don't feel comfortable sending them to school. And I am the primary teacher for them. And I will be the first to acknowledge and admit I am not an elementary school teacher. I, I sit here and I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what kind of lesson is this? I'm sitting here almost pulling my hair out you know, with frustrations and trying to find the right words for a child. Um, but as I started doing that, you know, even last night, we were doing late night lessons, uh, trying to meet their deadline before the Christmas break and, and, and stuff like that. It, it hits me, the true value of being able to talk to your son or to your daughter and to help them, whether it's reading, to just go over that and have that interaction for them to see a parent one-on-one, -on -one, someone close to them help guide them through, to give them encouragement, to give them the confidence, to see them and to walk with them, to not talk in a disrespectful way that sometimes can happen in, in a school. And, and I know for, for us as Native American people and indigenous peoples, I have constantly been at school offices with principals and teachers because of something that I disagreed with and how they were treated, how we were viewed. Um, you know, something like that. 
but to be able to, to teach them yourself, you know, to even use some of our language with them. I realize that's the true, I don't know if you can put a value to that interaction and it's gonna be something that they remember for the rest of their lives. Um, and, and, you know, for, for my, my son who I'm thinking about, you know, he does struggle in a normal classroom setting, but to be able to respect the integrity of his life, even as a child, I think sometimes we forget about that in society in school systems where we're thinking about getting them graduated as quickly as possible in the largest group possible without, without any headaches. Well, we can't speak to our little ones like that. And to be able to see them grow and be able to, you know, learn concepts, that's something that I have missed as an executive, you know, working, you know, I was, you know, I was jumping on planes and, and doing that kind of thing. And so it hit me. That's the true value and power. And my hope is that all of us throughout society, you know, we won't kind of take that for granted right now when we can have that interaction with our children, when we can have that interaction. And I know I'll, I'll be the first to say it's hard sometimes. You know, you sit there, you want to stretch your arms out, you know, you want to do something. You know, I, I want to come to our, our meetings. You know, I, I was going when Global Ministries was in New York, I was going every five or six weeks back to New York and back to Oklahoma. Um, you know, for a couple of years, I was in Atlanta. I was doing the same thing uh, with my colleagues there. Um, and so this, our lockdowns and everything has just kind yeah. of removed our concept of time, which is not a bad thing. I mean, this is really, I, I think, I'm hoping that people will get a better, develop a better way of living where we don't have to constantly consume travel, consume goods, and we can stay with our families a little bit more. But it's crazy because it, it just, you you were used to looking at things a different way. And, um, you know, here we are and it's almost 2021 now. You know, it's funny that you say that because the concept of time, like, oh, I don't know what the concept of time is anymore and it doesn't really dictate my life. I mean, obviously we're not at God's level and never will be, but you know, for God, the concept of time is like not even close to us, right? So I think that's pretty interesting. No, it's a, I could uh, probably write a, a, a dissertation on just that, you know, from an indigenous people's perspective, you know, because that's really what, how we try to operate without that constant pressure of, you know, we exist, you know, we, we look at, you know, opportunities to enjoy life we look at, you know, the, of course, we, we watch the, the moon and the stars and its evolution, and we are able to tell that time is, is there, but we don't sacrifice the moment to say, well, you know, my meeting's done now, I have to leave, you know, for a relationship uh, with mm -hmm. humans, for a relationship with the cosmos and the, the earth, we don't limit that, you know, it's something that's in a constant evolution and communion with. So this is something that I think is actually going to be healthy for us if we can somehow get the rest of society <laughs> to, to not be bound by such things. But th this really is a precious moment. The other one is more, the other example that I wanted to give is pro probably more spiritual, that when we realize what can we do to feel that hope, is that number one, I do want us to take this pandemic serious. You know, I'm, I'm wearing masks. My companion is a public health nurse, uh, United States public health officer. 
um, you know, very much take all of these uh, recommendations and rules and guidelines seriously. But also, while we do that, don't be consumed into a, a moment of fear mongering and being scared. And that's why I ask that we go and we look outside and look at all of creation. And for this moment in time, it's really special when we think about the, the cycle of this earth and, and coming upon the solstice and the changing uh, you know, of the, the length of days and that kind of thing and enter a moment of prayer and reflection. You know, one of the things I said early on in the pandemic, um, you know, I looked and I sat in my front porch and I watched all of these, um, I watched these flowers starting to bloom. I watched these ants and butterflies coming. And I told my children, I said, look, I said, they, they're going around here and they're still living life like they know. They have no concept of what a pandemic is. They have no concept uh, of any of that. And they're still going about the, the cycles of life and they haven't stopped that. Now, I'm not saying let's go and have 200 people in, in an auditorium and have a Christmas dinner, but I'm saying let's just exist. It's okay to be in a moment of pause. It's okay to be in a moment of even silencing, you know, all of our, all of the, you know, even for me, all of the social justice issues that I will pound the pavements representing, it's okay to just pause for a moment. And in this moment in time, when we're thinking about this time of year, just sit in the presence of God and communicate and be in that kind of communion with that spirit. That's what I would say is to, to you know, it's, it's more than just going outside and praying. It's looking at the whole world and how it, is, it exists. And even if we listen properly, this world will tell us how to heal from this time. This world will tell us how to heal our climate, how to heal injustice how to exist with all of the diversity of creation, diversity in humanity, all, all of our people, if we listen, because societies have existed for thousands of years, but only in this one moment of time have we put the entire earth in jeopardy. And unfortunately, some of that is because of how selfish we are. And that's unfortunate. So I'm hoping that in these times we can go and silence ourselves and listen to those voices saying, here's how we exist in, in a sense of, of humbleness and respect of everything. I think that's beautiful. And I think that that is a message that we need to hear. Um, I think it's something that we need to be reminded of. And it really gives a lens. I mean, I'm thinking of John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world. And I think in our day and age, it's so easy to be like, the world sucks, people suck because people are imperfect and we are human beings and we do make mistakes. But even though we are imperfect, God still loved us so much and God still loves humanity because God created us. And if we do take the time to look at ourselves from that perspective, we can learn to heal. We can learn to see each other. We can learn to value each other. And that's a message that we need to be reminded of. Yes. I, I think that we are in dire need of remembering that and even, I would even say, removing any threats to that existence that are there. Because I think right now it's even dangerous for us to talk about that, that belief, you know, in, in certain parts, like even where I live, you know, after a, a very tense election season that's really not over, that a lot of us don't feel entirely comfortable 
expressing ourselves this way because of what might happen. Mm -hmm. um, and that's my hope is that all of us can get to an understanding of it. We are all in a community. Um, and there's a way that we have to exist to, you know, just to you know, limit the suffering that we go through. Siobhan, thank you. Um, thank you for your time. Is there anything else you want to share? Um, no, I, I think that's a, about it. I'm just thankful to be with my relatives here. Uh, whoever listens to the podcast, I'm just thankful that you know that you have included our uh, Native American voices. And I'm, I'm always just blessed to, to share just a little bit. Uh, there's a joke that uh, people say, and my, my wife always reminds me of this, about the, the clan that I, I represent, the, the wind, wind clan, that they say that when you're a wind clan, that you're also long-winded and you always talk a lot. Um, so I try not to talk too much, uh, but it's just, it's always a joy. Anytime I can share just a little bit about the beauty of our existence, the beauty of what you know, we have the things that we have survived through. And my hope is that that can provide some sense of hope and guidance to our people, Native American and non-Native American throughout the country or whoever may listen. And so I'm just thankful I could have this time. Well, thank you. I hope that we can include more of all the different perspectives that there are. Thank you very much. To learn more about us, head on over to ourconexion.org. Our Conexión is produced by United Methodist Communications and the National Plan for Hispanic and Latino Ministry. Music is provided by William Baxter Noon, and the world changing comes from you. Thank you. Hasta luego.